Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Welcome to Hello Latino. I know I say this with excitement every week, but really I am so excited for y'all to listen to this wisdom-filled conversation with Gabriel Lomeli, un Mexicano guarito, as he says, from Stockton, California. We talk about designing your own path toward success, navigating identity. He talks about his travieso days to heartbreak to making pandemic power moves. A little bit about Gabe, he has over 10 years of strategic partnership, media production, and instructional design experience. After graduating from San Jose State, shout out, he began his career as a music video producer and editor in the hip-hop and R&B scene. Upon completing his master's program at Stanford University, Gabe joined the lecturing team at the School of Design at Stanford University while operating his own media agency, producing videos for Silicon Valley's top tech companies. Currently, he's an account manager on the creative media strategy team at LinkedIn and volunteers his time speaking to students, sharing tools and strategies that have helped him uncover hidden opportunities and intentionally design his academic and professional career path. Que disfruten esta conversación. my little hydration pack is my secret weapon have you heard Míralo. about this <laughs> no this liquid I- let me tell you about this real quick. oh liquid iv no i have it's supposed to oh, like okay. really hydrate you know well not only does it hydrate you but if you i have like a you know like maybe a light night of drinking or heavy night of drinking like you make sure you drink one of those like right before you go to bed you're gonna wake up just you know full energy ready to go hydrate and everything like that so like drinking one of these little packages like drinking like three or four bottles of water and then they got like immune ones and all that this is a hydration multiplier all that good stuff you know i've been real big what? on hydration lately yeah let me tell you, it's a hack did you I learn to, did you learn this in college i actually learned this at a bachelor <laughs> party i learned it at a bachelor party really? because we were in vegas like a year ago or something pre-covid and uh a lot of my boys there their their wives are nurses so like they just packed full of like they just gave them boxes of this stuff but you could buy them at costco so we were just downing them. And then like, we were surprised we'd wake up like the next morning, just like ready to go at 8 a.m. or whatever. And we're like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> you know what I mean, we're not really used to this superpower anymore. You know what I mean? So it was, it was nice. <laughs> power of hydration, power of hydration. That's yep. dope. Okay, liquid IV, now I know. Mm-hmm. But I wanna give a big shout out to Gabriella before we get started mm-hmm. for introducing us. She 
Gabe, you don't even know. She was she was gassing you up. She was saying so many great things about you. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to talk to this guy. And I remember the first time we talked, it was like, yeah, he's dope. Uh, I can't wait to have him on my podcast. But she said she's like, he would charm the pants off of everyone that you worked with. You were you were a server or, or a waiter. And she's like, every table, every table loved him because he was just so charming and he was fun. He was vibrant. He was authentic. I was like, damn, I need to meet this guy. Uh, fiance going to get so mad at this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that Gabriella said that, though. Yeah, she she gassed you up. And I. how could I, you know, not talk to you and meet you and have you on this podcast? So I'm really excited. There's a lot of things that I'm really curious about in terms of your story, but let's jump in and let's, let's start with the first question. And that's how do you identify and why? Yeah, I, I just say I'm Latino. And uh, if they ask like what kind of Latino, what flavor, I just say Mexican-American. So uh, my parents are from Me Mexico. My mom was born in Mexicali and my dad was, um, his family's from Guadalajara, Jalisco, like Canelo, the boxer. Ah, like Canelo, hey. You know? Yeah. And it's <laughs> Best funny, boxer say, out there. That's right. And they say, like, uh, whenever I tell people about, like, Guadalajara or Jalisco, they're like, oh, yes, that's the light. That's the land of the light-skinned Mexicans. And some of, and a lot of them got colored eyes. I'm like, yep, that's that's me right here. I was a little wero since uh, since the days. I, I, you know what? I was so wero, so, <laughs> so white, you know what I mean, that uh, in elementary, I remember that I had to prove to um, – my classmates that I was Mexican by eating chili peppers for lunch. Like they bring me like, if you Mexican, you could eat this jalapeno. And I was like, man, watch man, I have this for snacks at home, man, we talk about. So yeah, we had to do that. You would just eat it like that? Yeah, and it's funny um, because it's still one oh, of my dear. favorite snacks. <laughs> yeah, it's still one of my favorite snacks. Like if I have a sandwich or something, like I like like a, a raw serrano or jalapeno, just like that, with, uh, still crunchy, I like yeah. it like that. I like them grilled and all that too, yo. And that, that was a real thing. You did eat that in your family. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, we eat that. Like, I'm Mexican. We eat peppers like that. Well, like, you were just little... trying to prove it to prove it. Like, you literally ate it at home. So, we ate it, like, with sal like little salsitas and things like that. But uh -huh. not not the way I eat it now. But during lunch, I had to, like, just take it to the face like that, you know. And I just take Damn. the crunch or whatever. Yeah, I know, right? Like, little kids, you know, uh, they didn't mean no harm by it. But, you know, it's just the way little kids are. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just they're not probably exposed to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, it goes back to that feeling of that first generation, like you're, you, don't, you don't feel Mexican enough or you don't feel like you fit in into these boxes that are placed there. But I'm, I'm really curious because you talk about being a guarito, Mexicano, mm -hmm. Latino. How was that navigating your childhood? You mentioned it briefly right now with the chili pepper, but let's mm -hmm. jump into that that story of navigating being light skinned, being Latino yeah. and Having having all your sazon and your flavors, but also looking a certain way to the public eye, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that my my perspective on it changes in every phase of my life. I think you know. Um, I think now that I'm older, I embrace it. I've always embraced it, but I think I embrace it even more. You know, what I mean, now um, one one uh, theme that I saw like in every phase of life, whether it's in in elementary school or in high school or in a uh, college or even now, you know, as a professional, I've noticed that I always felt like I was a little bit behind or always underrepresented, right? Like they always give us the, the statistics, oh, Blacks and Latinos are make up this much amount of, you know, this this course or this university or of this tech company or whatever the case is. So I want to say it was like, it's not a foreign concept to me. It just seems familiar now. So you're always like 
like, oh, this been the this been the case my entire life, the situation my entire life. So I'm always ready to, you know, show up and show out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was just kind of bred for that or trained for that at a young, young age. When I was a little boy, uh, my first language was Spanish. And remember when I went to and I didn't even start speaking until like I was four. You know, so so I was already like like miles behind already, like full sentences at four. So when I went to uh, to kindergarten, um, I really wasn't that great at, at English. And because of that, they wanted to hold me back like a grade or two, because back then, you know, um, they didn't really have like strong, strong ESL classes or pathways or anything like that to help you out with that. And I went to public school, Marigi from a place called Stockton, California. And uh, I, you know, it just wasn't a lot of resources where at least at the school that I was at. So they wanted to hold me back. So my parents did is that they switched the language at home from Spanish to English so that we can, I could get caught up. So I didn't know it at the time, but looking, and I did, you know, I picked it up quickly and I got to advance and all that. And I got to, you know, I was placing all these cool courses like, uh, like gifted and talented education or something like that. They put us in advanced math and it was just weird. We could get into that a little later, but it was weird to like be separated from everybody else in the classroom with them seeing you being separated, you know? Anyway, um, I look back at it and there was a point in my life, probably like in my teens where I didn't really want to speak any Spanish. And um, and I just didn't have a lot of practice in it. And if I had the choice to speak Spanish or English, I would go with English every single time. And so what ended up happening, I got really rusty with it. You know, I was like the tin man. I couldn't even, you know, like if I had to speak Spanish, I was just like struggling through it. Like, <laughs> you know, and now now I look back and I'm like, why? Why is that? Why, you know, why? Why was I feeling like that? And I think a part of it, like subconsciously made me feel like. If I speak Spanish they're gonna look at me a certain way. They're gonna think that maybe I'm not as educated or maybe I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not at where, at the point I'm supposed to be or maybe I'm exposing myself to some a part of me that I don't want them to see or maybe, you know, maybe I'm just gonna be held back. Maybe because at the very the beginning of my education, that's what I was exposed to. That was my that was my experience with, with speaking Spanish and not being able to speak English and that carried out. Now though, whoo, you better believe I'm going, I'm doing everything I can to take that back. You know what I mean? I said, nah, this is, yeah. that was my first language. That, hey, and I got real, real quick, I gotta give a shout out because the more I talk about this, first of all, most Latinos that I talk to, they have, uh, many of them have the same problem. And they're like, look, you know, I, I can understand Spanish. Um, you know, my abuelos or abuelitas, puro espanol. But me, mm-hmm. I was like, man, you know, like I don't practice it enough. So I don't feel comfortable talking about it. And I'm, I'm afraid to practice with my family or my primos or primas because I feel, I get embarrassed and, and, and they're mm-hmm. just going to make fun of me. They're not even going to help me. Right. So what do we do? Mm-hmm. We go take, oh, I'm going to go take a uh, Spanish in high school then. Right. I'm going to take a class. What happens? We're too advanced for that class because they're like, uh, like, uh, the casa, uh, verde, uh, you know, el gato. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, what man, we already know all that, man. Like, so like, oh, yeah. I'm in the advanced classes then. We get into the advanced classes, lost. I'm like, man, this is like Shakespearean Spanish. Oh my Spanish. God, retweet, you know retweet. Because <laughs> I took Spanish, they put me in Spanish for Spanish speakers, right? Because I tested advanced. And then I got in that class and I was like, que es esto? Like, I don't know any of this. I was like, what's uh, the know, All of these, like, I don't even know. And it yeah. was, just, it was so funny because I got a B in Spanish and I was like, it was forever a joke in my family. They're like, how'd you, how'd you get a B in Spanish yeah. or Spanish speakers? I was like, y'all don't understand. Okay. This is Spanish. Yeah. Like this Espanol, los Españoles, like that's what we were learning. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, like, I don't speak like that. 
you know what I mean? Speak with a with an accent and not pronounce my S's. Like, yeah, from like the, and I'm like, <laughs> look, look, I'm yeah. gonna check this out. I'm not trying to write a research paper. I'm trying to order my food in Spanish and chop it up with my, with, with La Familia and like, at the carne asada. Can we do that? Yeah. Right? They yeah. can't do it for me. Yeah. But I found something, my goodness, I, man, I, be, I, I feel like an evangelist though. Apparently there's like two or three websites that you can go and you could pay like $5 or $6 for like an hour with a tutor from the country. You pick the country. I want to learn um, Mexican Spanish. I want to learn Spanish from Nicaragua. I want to learn Spanish from Venezuela, wherever it is. You find a tutor from there and then just go on here like a, a, a Zoom car or something. And then they meet you at where you're at and you practice and they correct you along the way. Boom. Been the best thing I've ever done. I just I just do like little 30 minutes with them here and there, you know, and then you get to pick your uh your teacher. And I'm like, man, you know, I got to go chop it up. I with didn't folks know and that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And it's cool. Because what are the websites? It, I want to know. And the listeners, is, it's good for them to know. <laughs> yeah, because I, I know that there's I know for a fact that there's a whole group of Latinos out there, first, second, third generation that have this very same insecurity and don't know how to fix mm -hmm. it, you know, and probably tried many mm -hmm. times. Oh, I got to read this book or I need Babel or I need whatever other app. I'm like, look, the only way to do it is you got to speak it. You got to practice it. That's the only way. And you got to look dumb. And yeah. You got to sound dumb and you got to get corrected and you got to be able to laugh at yourself. If you're able to do that, you're going to be fine. It was uh, um the first one is verbling. So like verb, like the like like a verb verbling.com and the other one i like this i like the name of it. it's called i italki italki yeah 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 italki right no it's just called I -taki. I -taki. oh my god do me a favor check it out when you can and you can see because like it's so dope and it's not just for spanish it's for any language so you want to learn italian japanese chinese whatever they got it there for you yeah no i mean this is this is a real struggle this is a real struggle i think for me I, I I talk about this with my brothers all the time because I grew up mostly with my parents. I'm like by far the youngest. So I spent the most time with them and I'm spending the most time with them now. And so I have, I have like, I, I speak, you know, like a Honduran woman would. And like, but if I were surrounded by my whole last family, like my family from Honduras or my family from Miami and they all kind of come together, man, mm -hmm. I'll sound like a Warita. And it's mm -hmm. so funny because I'm like, I'm always going to get picked apart because I be dropping Spanish and like regular conversations with people who don't speak Spanish. And they're like, look at you, Latina ass, you know, mm -hmm. and then I speak it at home and they're like, ah, está yendo yeah. español. like, you know, yeah. or they were like, yeah. say like, oh, you don't really say this anymore. Yeah. You don't like know how to say this, this mm -hmm. and that, or I got my sentence, like whatever wrong. And I was yeah. like, damn, I'm just like, yeah, I seen something the other day that was like, it was a tweet that said my biggest flex is speaking, is speaking two languages. Yet I cannot speak in either language. <laughs> It's like you lose both. I love that. Like, hey, yeah, love you can't. You can't even speak both. I'm like, that's my everyday struggle. I'm like, I literally work in communications and I write well, for that, a living, which is just so funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I love about it is because I think, I mean, the you know the the insecurities come creep up on you quick, and you're like, man, I got to get this Spanish, you know, right, or I have to have it, you know, hundred percent. That ain't even true because I don't even speak English the right way, you know, and and I'm able to, yep. I'm able to like poke fun of myself even when i'm in, in like corporate meetings and stuff like that if i say something wrong i've just learned like you know it's part of public speaking like if you're able to laugh at yourself straight up that's a superpower and you're like mm -hmm. oh man and then I, I i've been in presentations before and like sometimes i send out words out of my mouth with, with a prayer like dang i hope that's the right word and then i even stop be like hey real quick what's that the right word hey can somebody uh 
Can somebody Google that for me? Sometimes I say, sometimes I can't it, just, tell if I'm it sounds up. right. Like sometimes it just feels <laughs> like a right where you're like, yes, I yeah. think this is it. <laughs> oh my God. One thing that I think about, and I, I'm curious about what you think and what, if you've been thinking about this, but one thing that I kind of hold so deeply for me is like, I want to pass down my culture and language to my future generations, you know, to my mm-hmm. own kids and like have that be part of my family because I've seen people in my own family where the kids start to lose their Spanish to the point where they yeah. don't even understand it. And yeah. I, that, that made it my, my priority to like really master like at least Spanish to a point where like my kids can speak it, you know? Again, I'm like, might change later on in life, but I always think about how can I really preserve this culture? Because first generation have, has an interesting story, right? Our parents are from the country. They have strong ties to it. They like, that's how they raised us. And it's like, yeah. we have an interesting dynamic because we have both. And so yeah. I'm like, curious, how have you, if you've thought about this, how do you want to pass down your culture and your own language or, you know, to your future generations? Yeah, most definitely. A couple of things come to mind. I'm glad you asked that. But, you know, even speaking Spanish is, is a big thing for me. I don't have kids yet, but I'm planning on having kids like within the next year or two. And um, I view I view speaking multiple languages as a superpower <clears throat> as well. So I want to give that to them. Luckily, my, my fiance is fluent, but I have to be uh, fluent as well, or at least close to it, as close as I can. So that yeah. when we raise them, we raise them in, you know, both English and Spanish. And, you know, you think about it, like, even even in the English language, code switching is like a language within a language, like the way you speak to your lawyer or to a judge or a police officer is the same way you speak to students or to your coworkers or to your family. Like, those are all languages within languages. So it's like, in many ways, like, we speak many, 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 many languages. Sometimes we speak, speak in body language, too, you know, just, you know, either way. So And you know, I mean, Latinos are hella animated. We be talking with our hands. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's it's so funny. Someone said, "No son Hondureño. You're not Honduran if you don't point with your mouth. It's a thing. Like our family, like <laughs> we're trying to point at something. Like it's like yeah, <laughs> like with the mouth. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. little things like that where it's like you know, like that's you know mm-hmm. that's your that's your thing. Like even mm-hmm. I know Mexican culture, depending on where you're from in Mexico, has a lot of slang and they speak yeah. with a lot of it. It's like oh yeah, every country, every country, big time. Big time. And then not only that, but then like even ha- our own sign language, I believe, too. Like, so you got to help me pinpoint this one. I don't know if it's a Stockton thing, if it's a Mexican thing or what it is. But like <laughs> where I'm from, maybe you tell me because where I'm from, let's say I got like a let's say I got a um, let's say you, uh, you make me you make me some enchiladas or something. Right. And then I take a bite of the enchilada. I put it down while I'm chewing. If I point at it. That means, damn, that's a hella bomb. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if I do a double point, hey, if I do a double point, <laughs> that's like, man, hey, five star. You know what I'm saying? Damn. <laughs> so, well, I, I can I can tell you that sounds like it's a both. It's a Stockton and a Mexican thing. That's just from my opinion. I think you know. I think you know. We have, and this is something I love about Latin culture because this is a common thread I've seen throughout different types of of you like you said flavors within latino america right whether you're dominican puerto rican cuban honduran nicaragua you know like wherever you're from i think we have this common thread of at the end of the day we speak the same language we say different things we have different gestures but every we can understand each other and we like understand each other's differences and nuances like again i've met so many people from the caribbean who also point with their mouth and it's just like oh my god you do that too like it's just so funny because we have that commonality right but we I think we say so much. I think we're just natural storytellers. 
like yeah. all of us because we're animated yeah, yeah. we talk we nos encanta chismear you know we'd be there chismeando all day you know <laughs> so oh, like yeah. we just we love talking we love telling stories and i think like that's what i love about being latino and latina you know it's just really really cool to see that we can all understand these same stories because of the 100%. body language the way we speak and like just the our animated nature, you know, we're just like hella fun. <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah, hundred percent. I want to pass all that down to the kids, you know. Yes. Just like, like the movie Coco. Oh my god, I love that movie. I mean, it just feels like I just feel like it, there's it, everything is vibrant and exaggerated, mm -hmm. and that's how I feel like our personalities are. <laughs> you know, not everybody, but like as a yeah. whole, like hell yeah. You know what I'm saying, and not only that, yeah. but I'm excited about something else. I talked to a lot of uh, my friends who are Latinos as well. Um, <clears throat> and we just said, hey, you know what? Like we feel, we feel, you know, in a way, and you included too. Like I feel like there's like a new breed of Latinos, like emerging, mm. you know, educated, yeah. ho uh, holding it down of, of their identity. They're professional. You know what I'm saying? They could go mm -hmm. either way. You know what I'm saying? Like wherever, like almost like chameleon. Like, hey man, we blend in, but we stand out at the same time. Like, what do you want? Like, we could speak all those languages. We could do all those things. Specifically mm -hmm. for myself in tech, you know, and uh, I want to speak about like the power of like having a community or like a home base or a foundation for yourself. I got I got my homeboys who uh, we do a poker night, right? Most of us are Latino. We call it lit, lit poker night, Latinos in tech, because we all work in tech, either Tesla, Google, LinkedIn, where I work, wherever the case is, right? And the, the importance of that is that for many first generations, students or Americans, like we just, we don't know what we don't know, right? So we have a lot of blind spots going into like the professional realm or the academic realm. I always say like the way I navigated my own career, I felt like I was going blindly, like blindfolded, but I was just feeling around, you know, like the, all the lights were off in the house, but I'm feeling, oh, okay, this must be the kitchen. This must be the bathroom, you know what I mean? That's how I felt. And uh, I went, I climbed through the ranks, you know, thank God. You know, I went, I started at community college in Stockton and then I went to San Jose State. That's where I met Gabriella. And then I hey, went to Stanford. I went to Stanford. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Spartans for sure. Yeah. I mean, matter of fact, all, everybody from Lit, Lit Poker Night, they're all they're all Spartans. Yeah. And then there I went to go. Go get, Yeah, that's how you know it's real. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I went to uh graduate school at Stanford University. And then from there, I started my own business. And then from there went now I start um I got recruited by LinkedIn, right? But at every single one of those phases, earlier I said like it's not, it's not foreign. It seems familiar. Oh, okay. There's only 4% Latinos here. Oh, okay. I got you. I heard that story before. Oh, there's only this much. Oh, this. well, what does that tell you? Like, we don't really have many resources unless we have like guides and mentors to help us with our blind spots. We're not going to see them. So guides, mentors, professors, family, somebody who's been there before. Hell yeah. But you know, there's another resource that we have and that's each other. You know what I mean? And that's that new breed that I'm talking about. When I went to go interview at LinkedIn, you know what my number one worry was? It wasn't, hey, do I have enough experience? Do I know, you know, do I have a, you know, a, a, a strong portfolio or am I going to do well with the interview question? My number one worry, and I was kind of embarrassed to ask people, was what, what am I supposed to wear? You know, this was pre-COVID. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to wear. Am I supposed to wear a tie? Mm. Am I supposed to be like a tech bro? Am I supposed to have a video game shirt on or something? Or how do I do it? So when we're playing poker, me and my lit bro brothers, you know, uh, I just asked him, like, hey, real talk, oh, how did you guys, how did you guys um, do your interview at Facebook or do your interview at Tesla or do your interview at Google or whatever? And they laced me with, with game right there. 
And it's just those little, little things. That's not that we don't, we can't, we're not capable of doing it or succeeding or something, but sometimes it's the little blind spots that we don't have that prevents us from, mm -hmm. from, uh, moving up or from like, you know, proceeding in our career or doing, or, or even like taking a, a risk or something. But because I had that, even just a little thing, just because they're like, oh, bro, bro just do a little button up, just look clean. You'll be good. You know, you could tuck it in. It's fine. Like that's probably a little too, too dressed up, but just tuck it in, you know, make a good first impression. You know, that little thing, it filled me with so much confidence. Like, Hey, yeah, my boys co-signed. They're all, they're all in tech. So they know, you know what I'm saying? They know I went and killed that interview, obviously, because now I'm there. And then I asked my manager like six months later, I was like, hey, real time, like, can I ask you something? What was your first impression of me? You know, because we were out, you know, we went on a happy hour or something. And she's like, you know what? She's like, the first thing I noticed about you, I noticed that you were so sharp and you dressed so sharp. I was like, man, this guy's sharp like that. He, this must uh, be a reflection of his work and his style. I was like, come on, lit poker night, baby. Let's wow. go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I wow. Get about that. I get pumped up about that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, that that's big, you know, because I think there's a lot of people, the code switching isn't new, right? The code switching mm -hmm. isn't new for us. And I think especially for first generation folks is something that we just naturally have done since the very beginning is like learn how to code switch. Learn, again, like you said, chameleon, right? Like learn how to vibe with these different groups that weren't like you and learn how to just go with, you know, like for me, I always say I like would be in my family and it was around hella Hondurans and we all spoke Spanish and it was like party. And then I would leave the, the house and I would be in the school with like 70% Hispanics who are mostly Mexican. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to like tone down my Honduran side. And that was my perspective as a kid, right? I had to tone down my Honduran <laughs> side, but I could still speak Spanish around them. I could still like eat hot Cheetos and Takis and like we bond over all these like similarities. And yeah. so for me, I think it's like, I naturally went into that space in other parts of my life, just similar to you, but the dress stuff, like, can we really just highlight that for a minute? Because I was so insecure. <laughs> now, now I do it all the time. I'm like, this is part of my brand, but I was so insecure, Gabe, about wearing my hoops and my long nails and my mm. red lipstick. I'm like, this is me. I love my hoops. I love my red lipstick and I love my long nails. Like yeah. I was hella nervous to to go into spaces that you know you don't really see that or maybe it's it's seen as ghetto or unprofessional or it's seen as like a certain type of person and like they didn't want to like have you know I didn't know if it was professional or not and I was super insecure about it but I remember to your point of like good first impressions my former my former president at the last company I was at she was like you know one thing I remembered about you Jasmine she was like I remembered your red lipstick and she's mm. like, from there, I, I knew you. Like, I just knew who you were. She's like, oh, this is mm. a girl with the red lipstick. And I was mm. like, mm -hmm. really? Yeah, come on. <laughs> and since then, I was like, I don't, I think sometimes like we overthink it ourselves, you know, like obviously we want to be prepared because there are people out there who are going to judge the way that we look and judge the way that we present ourselves 100%, mm -hmm. you know? But I think like, I always say I'm the hardest critic on myself because like you said, we're navigating this world really blindly, right? Like there's no mm -hmm. one to tell us like, this is what you do, or this is like how to do it. Or, you know, my mom, my dad, my theos, my theas, they don't, they don't work in tech. They don't work in, in this world. You know, they were just like, I don't know, do whatever you got to do to get the job. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. I, and you know, that speaks so much to, and it resonates so deeply. Like these are things that we had to, and this is all still on the, it's, it's all answering the question that you posed earlier about what we want to pass on. This is all knowledge yeah. that we, uh, we want to yeah. pass on to say, it's okay to feel like this. It's okay to be yourself. 
if you feel insecure, yeah. or you feel out of place, that's cool. Doesn't mean you got to stop. You just got to work through it or here's some solution or this is how I did it. You got to pass that on, those experiences and that wisdom. You know, uh, yeah. what you just said right now, it reminded me of like when I first went to graduate school at Stanford, I remember I was like, oh, okay, I got to switch everything up. Here, I yeah, I want to hear about the up. story. Oh, I was like, hey, I was like, hey, I got to I got to learn about wine and cheeses. I got to subscribe to the Atlantic. I got to start boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still can't pronounce that word, by the way. I told you I can't really. <laughs> yeah, that's one I, I could never get right. Chicoutery. Yeah. Did I tell you? Oh, my God. I need to tell you the story real quick. And then we're going to go back yeah. to it just because it's yeah, funny. Yeah. But I remember it was Thanksgiving a couple years ago. I made a charcuterie board and I was telling my family, I was like, y'all, this is like a meat and cheese board. It's called charcuterie board. Oh, my God. It became the joke every freaking holiday. Oh, look, Jasmine, we're her charcuterie board. Mira que anda. I'm like, oh, my God. And it's been a thing ever Chimich- since they, like, they, they roast Chimichurri. me. Yeah, chinchurri. They say charcuterie board. <laughs> how do you, so how do you really say it? I think it's charcuterie. Charcuterie. I'm going to look it up. I think you know so. What I mean? Like, yeah, I'm going to look it up on Google. You know, they always have somebody with a British accent telling you how to properly yeah. speak. I'm like, dang. Oh, okay, we got to learn the Queen's English. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I want to hear your story though. Casey had to no, learn that, about meats, cheeses, wines. Yeah. Charcuterie. Actually, that's the first time I saw charcuterie boards, you know, and I was like, damn, this stuff is pretty cool. You know, not enough to fill me up, but it's cool though. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with wines and stuff. And then, um, so I remember I was like, I got to learn about all this. I got to polish it all up. And I was struggling, you know, I was struggling. Cause I was like, man, cause I'm like, man, I'm not good at it. Or they could tell I'm faking it or whatever. And I just remember like, maybe like two, Two months, two, three months in, I was like, you know what? It's, I'm just going to be myself, you know, like I'm already in here. They can't kick me out. You know what I mean? So I did. I was just like let loose. I was like, hey, look, this is what you're going to get from me. And uh, I, I speak with a little bit of slang and uh, I mess up mm-hmm. uh, words in English. But man, I'll tell you what, though, I know I'm funny and I know that people listen to me and I got good <laughs> ideas. I know that. And you know that as mm-hmm. the moment I started doing that, I realized that the professors were engaging with me more. They call on me more. They do this, that people were, you know, networking and, and trying to, you know, trying to hang out and chill. And that, and I found out that in a place where everyone's trying to be the same or trying to follow someone else, your, your biggest, an- another superpower here is just be yourself. If you could stand out. So if yeah. you got the hoops and the lipstick and everything, you got to embrace that. You have to embrace that because that you're something novel, you're something innovative, you're something brand new. And like we used to teach this thing at the school of design about radical collaboration. Radical collaboration means that let's say we're working on a project together and we're stuck. We can't figure out. Let's say you and I are marketers. We're trying to figure out this problem. Does it make sense to go get more marketers in the room to figure it out? Or should we bring people from other disciplines so we get new perspectives, bring an engineer in, uh, bring an entrepreneur in, bring somebody who works in education. All of a sudden it's radical collaboration. And that is what we mm-hmm. bring to the table as Latinos. So when we're our authentic mm. selves, so boom, no, I didn't know we were going to start preaching over here. You and I, I know what I'm saying, I didn't know we we're going to do that on this podcast. I'm like, damn, yeah. look at us. Yeah, but yeah. one thing I was hearing from what you were saying, it's, isn't it so like, just like a breath of fresh air. It's so beautiful when you realize you can really just be yourself the whole mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that acceptance within yourself is just so big where you're like, yep. Ooh, I don't have to keep pretending. I don't have to put oh, this yeah. mask on. Like I could really just be me. Oh yeah. And like that to me, there, there's a moment I think everyone goes through it where they're like, it's not just like the world's accepting you. Like you start accepting you. You're like, damn, I'm pretty yeah. dope. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you start seeing yourself thriving and, and attracting mm-hmm. you walk and different you talk different yeah. there's more confidence right there's more like pep to your step and i think that's something that 
I I feel like every person I've talked to on this podcast has had that moment where they're just like, you know what, I'm different, and that's what makes me who mm-hmm. I am, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you have you have Stockton and Mexican culture, you're Latino, you have yeah. all these really amazing influences in your identity, and I think everybody has their own sauce, right? Their own flavor, as you say. That's yeah. like my new favorite thing. I'm like, what flavor are you? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. But no, I mean, it's true. It's true. Just don't get and lost think... in the sauce. You know what I mean? Like Gucci Man said, don't get lost in the sauce, though. But you can don't have get no lost sauce. In the sauce. <laughs> don't get lost in the sauce. But I love I love this new breed of Latino. But I want to I want to kind of dive back into your story and, and go back and peel back a couple layers. And I want to start mm-hmm. with, do you know your family's immigration story? And where your mom, mm-hmm. you, you said, mentioned your mom is from Mexicali, Mexicali right? Mexicali, yeah. And your dad yeah. from Guadalajara. So, like, yeah. do you know a little bit about their immigration story? Uh, yeah, I could tell you a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit. So, both my parents are from to 12, right? So, uh, 11 brothers and sisters on each side. So, I have so many cousins and some some that I haven't met yet. Um, yeah. So, I can start with my dad's side. My 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 last name is Lomeli, right? So, in English, you would just say Lomeli. And people like when they read it or when they first see it they think it's italian and yeah it sounds like an italian last name um but the funny thing is that every person and there's not too many of us that i've met but every person that i've met that has my same last name is mexican it doesn't matter if they're from california or from chicago or from new york or wherever they're all mexican so i had a friend of mine look into this for me because he's good with like you know, lineage and all that, and, and he's into it. And it turns out that we think that uh, the our ancestors or somebody down the line came from, from Italy, like uh, Southern Italy or something, and they came to Mexico. But the original name was either Lomellini or Lomellino. And when they came to Mexico, for whether it was business or new opportunities, wherever the case was back then, um, or maybe went further back, I don't know, I have no clue that they dropped the last two letters. So it would just became Lomellini. Maybe it was too hard to pronounce it in Spanish or something like that. So they dropped it. So that would make sense why I've never met an Italian with my last name, but I only met Mexicans. Like there's this dude named Louis, Louis Lomelli. He's a he's a, Mex, a Mexican boxer from Chicago. Been trying to get a hold of that cat, or at least his family, but they're not responding to my Facebook messages. There's another dude uh, <laughs> in, uh, in Los Angeles and they got a Mexican and Italian restaurant called Lomelli's. And I'm like, what? It's crazy. You know what I mean? And then the rest of them are in, yeah, the rest of them are in Texas and New Mexico, Arizona and all that good stuff. And then from my mom's side, um, I, I think they said that my uh, my grandma, my mom's mom was was native. You know what I mean? So uh, like they got, yeah, they, they were native. And then um, we just don't know much about it because uh, my grandma didn't really come from a good a good family background. Like she was um, like neglected and abused as a as a child. So we don't really have a lot of information. I know it's out there, but we could get it. And, and yes, yeah, it's, it's just rough. And then my grandpa was a was a, a Mexican cowboy from Texas apparently, and he was light skinned with green eyes, hitting that lasso everywhere. So I was like, dang, wow. that's what's up. That's about all I know. And then my uh, my mom's a twin, and I know that they crossed the border. Um, and it's funny, like they didn't even know that they weren't like U.S. citizens until they were a little older. But then they were able to get, um, you know, their citizenship and all that. And then my pops, if I remember correctly, he was born here, but then taken back and then and then came back again. So hmm. you hear like a lot of that going on sometimes. Yeah. right? Like, hey, just let, yeah. let, let them be born in the, in the States and then bring them back, you know. 
Especially, I know that's really common in from Mexico. I've heard a lot of, I had a lot of friends that were like that as well. And I've heard a lot of stories like that because it's so close to the border, right? Or it's so mm-hmm. close to, to the US. But no, I love that you touched on, you know, without you even realizing, I think you touched on immigration and the nuances of, Im- of immigrating to this country or immigrating across the globe. Because first of all, people forget. I'm like, there's there's immigrants everywhere, right? Like everywhere yeah. around the world, people immigrate to Honduras, people immigrate to Mexico, people immigrate to Italy. Like they, they literally immigrate wherever, wherever there's mm-hmm. an opportunity for them. And I think you just brought that up. And I think it's really good for us to remember like this world is, is meant for us to just explore, right? It's like, yeah. it's a place of, of immigrants. And that's why our, I think our ancestry is always so complex and interesting. And it, when we dive into it, like even your last name, right? Like it's part of your identity. It's like, okay, well, like let's peel back the layers, right? And let's see where that comes from. Let's unpack it. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that's something. And knowing you have indigenous roots too, I think that's a really like powerful thing for you too, to know mm-hmm. that you have these different, again, parts of your ancestry identity kind of influencing who you are and kind of like pushing you forward. Like that's dope to me. And 100%. I am I'm curious, let's, moving into your story a little bit, then you landed in Stockton and then you were born. Yeah. Yeah. So my parents were, uh, they met in San Jose, San Jose, California. And then, uh, when I was born in San Jose and then when, uh, I was one, my dad, uh, my dad got a job in the department of corrections. So, so he became a correction officer and then they, they wanted him to do with, That's uh, a tough job. yeah, yeah, it is. And he, they wanted him to do, um, work at the prison in Stockton. So then we moved to Stockton when I was just a little boy. So I was raised in Stockton. Um, it's funny because he ended up being a sergeant at San Quentin prison. And, uh, it was, <laughs> it was crazy wow. growing, growing up with, you know, a father that's in law enforcement or let alone a, a sergeant in, uh, San Quentin. And then you were, you're raised in Stockton and you're a little travieso, you know what I'm saying? I was a little, uh, yeah, I was a little hothead. I had a big attitude. Yeah. I thought I was a little gangster for like a big part of my life, m- mainly because, that's what you saw in Stockton all the time, you know? And it's funny because I was raised in a good part of Stockton, like maybe even like a, a a richer part of Stockton. But, you know, when we went to school and everything, my friends were, I was always attracted to like these little, these little knuckleheads, you know what I'm saying? And so I always found myself in a lot of trouble there though. So the best way I could describe my upbringing in my whole education was, so I was always uh, gifted in like, academics so what you would see is i would be sent to the office because they'd want to give me an award or showcase my project you know third fourth fifth grade whatever very next week i'd be in the office for fighting or for breaking a window in the bathroom or for you know doing uh, kicking kicking the stuff people on the bus or whatever it is you know so and then that carried throughout my entire life it it actually carried you know thank god that that's that finally like got it out of i feel like i got it out of my system now because i carried that all the way into my college years you know like i don't know how deep we could get into this but like a big big part of my story is like when i was in when i was in college i went from stockton community college which was almost felt like quicksand to me because all my boys that went there just went there because it was the thing to do right after high school who didn't get into a university or whatever. So they were ditching classes, just smoking and drinking, cutting, going to the mall because our community college was right across the street from the mall. And I had to be like really laser focused just to like transfer. And I did because I always wanted to go to college because my mom planted that seed in me when I was younger. She said, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you got to do it. 
you got to get out to college. I was like, I'm going to do it, especially me being the eldest with two siblings and, and a little sis, uh, two little brothers and a little sis. Like I wanted to pave the way. So when I finally got to, uh, you know, I thought I thought I was classy in Stockton. I was like, hey, compared to what I'm seeing out here, you know, I'm kind of nice. I'm kind of classy. When I got to San Jose State, they're like, man, this guy's kind of kind of rough, kind of rough around the edge. Like, where are you from, man? I'm like, I'm from Stockton. They're like, oh, what? You know, they shoot people and and uh, stab people at parties. I'm like, yeah, man, that's how we know the parties over. They don't do that over here in Stockton. I mean, in San Jose, they're like, nah, hell no, nah, man. I was like, oh wow. So you know, my whole I still had like this demeanor about me, which was I don't know. I mean, it was just like a persona, really, that I had adopted and like taken on that I had on me still. And it got me into some trouble. We actually went to a party up in Monterey. Brawl broke out and I was I was the cause of it. The cops showed up. We all dispersed and everything. Anyway, the cops, one of the cops finally catch up and they stop me and then uh, they find a butterfly knife on me. Because they found that butterfly knife on me, they took me to jail. So I was in Salinas uh, County Jail. Now, here's the thing. When you have a dad who's a sergeant at San Quentin and he receives a call, a collect call <laughs> from Salinas County Jail, uh, he they say, do you accept these charges? He's like, nope. Click. I, I just remember hearing that. I'm like, oh, my God. But thank God that my mama picked up on the next one. And, uh, yeah, wow. I ended up getting I ended up getting bailed out. I went back. I finished, finished my degree and everything. I didn't know at the time, but because of that mistake, it completely, uh, it completely changed the course of my career because I was disqu automatically disqualified for a weapons violation because I thought I was going to be a youth correctional counselor. I wanted to go and, you know, inspire the youth and everything that were incarcerated and everything. That was going to be my plan. So I graduated with a degree from San Jose State couldn't do nothing with it because where I, my plan was out the window now. And so even though I still had that degree, this thing I was chasing my entire life and I was supposed to be so proud of, I felt like I still had those handcuffs on me. So to me, my real graduation date was the day, was the day that we went back to Salinas and I went to the courthouse and the judge expunged that for me, you know? And man, I get goosebumps talking about it because when he was like, hey man, we see these letters from your professors and these people who are validating and co-signing for you. And, and, and he's, I would love to sign this for you and expunge this and this ain't gonna show up on your record anymore. Man, that, that felt like my real wow. graduation day. But because I couldn't go into that route, I was forced to go another way. So I ended up working at the Boys and Girls Club in Redwood City as an after-school mentor, making like, I don't know, like $10 an hour or something, you know? And in my, <laughs> and in my, my house or well, my fam, my pops was like, Hey man, you did this to yourself, man. Like you, you know, you're struggling right now because of your decisions. You're not going to come back, back home. You need to figure it out yourself. So I was just struggling, you know, getting by, uh, trying to figure it out. Luckily my, my, uh, cousin let me stay with them in San Jose. And around that same time, this, uh, I had a girlfriend from high school and, um, it, man, not enough people talk about this, but when things go wrong, man, heartbreak is real, you know? Ooh. And I got my, I remember mm -hmm. getting my heart ripped oh, like outside my, I remember like, I used to have so much like confidence and energy. And I remember during that time, and it took years. I, it, the best way I could describe it is like if uh, somebody took all the color out of your life and you, can, you can't see color anymore. You can only see grays. That's what it felt like. And I had to fight through that. It was so dark, you know? So I, I was broke, I had a criminal record and I was, I was working through a broken heart at the same time. The irony about that and the beautiful, the dark beauty of it 
is that when you you're stripped of everything, you know, thank God I still have my health and everything. But when you're stripped of things that you thought that you needed to survive and you don't have them anymore, it's kind of liberating because you're like, all right, well, I got a clean slate. What am I going to do? Am I going to feel sorry for myself? Or am I going to go do something? So around that time that I learned about uh, music video editing or video editing in general. And then when I found out that that skill made sense to me and that I had access to it because I was working at the Boys and Girls Club and they had a media center with uh, video editing software. So I had already graduated with degrees in psychology and sociology, and now I'm picking up media. I hung on to that like it was it was like my only hope for, for life, and I did. And then I started capitalizing on opportunities and opportunities and opportunities. I ended up doing music videos for my favorite rappers and R&B singers in the Bay Area in Los Angeles, went on MTV and BET. And then I, I, I became the director of the Media Academy there. And then because of that, that's why I got into Stanford. Because somebody told me, they were like, hey, man, you know, there's a program out here. I was like, where's Stanford, bro? I was like, hey, psycholog <laughs> psychologically, I thought Stanford was on the East Coast. I thought it was next to Harvard. And they're like, bro, we're in Redwood City. They're like, Stanford's like 15, 20 minutes down El Camino Road right here. I'm like, what? I'm like, and I was like, how do you know? I, said, man, I, go, to, I go to Stanford. I'm like, you go to Stanford. I, I've never met anybody that went to Stanford. Man, I thought you had to be a politician or, ro or royalty or something. I I love that you just mentioned that. I love that you just mentioned that because we are not exposed to those things. It That is so, I love, I just like, I'm thinking about the first time I realized I was close to Stanford too. And I was like, and I like, like a big school, like a good school. Like we're right yeah. here. Yes. <laughs> I was yes. like, what? That was hey, the same even, thing. Uh, honestly, I didn't even know what Silicon Valley was. I went to San Jose State not knowing what Silicon Valley is, that there was tech there. I had no idea until I was in like the like the like sophomore year, sophomore, junior year. Where I was like, oh, these are like Google and Facebook. They're all around here. Like I had no freaking clue. None. Exactly. That's it. I'm on the same <laughs> plane. So that goes back to blind Aligned. spots. That's mm -hmm. the, the blind spots we had. I didn't we had no clue. I had no clue. And all it took was for somebody to say it to me. That's it. And that's why I'm such a believer in like sharing your story, these peer, these, these peer groups that we have validated one another, because you never know, like when you're planting a seed in somebody, when this dude told me, he was like, Hey man, have you ever thought about going to grad school? Cause I got a program out there for like media and education, kind of the same thing you're already doing. And it's here at Stanford. And if somebody ever tells you something, you're like, man, I wish they didn't tell me that because now that they told me, now I'm never going to be able to stop thinking about it. And I was like, damn, that's what this dude, I was like, hey, man, you think I could, you think they'll let me in? He's like, hell yeah. I'm like, damn, man, you shouldn't have said that to me, dog. Because now I'm just, you know, I got it good right now, man. I'm just chilling. He's like, and I was like, now I got to go. I was like, man, I've already, I'm, I'm barely, you know, I'm still healing up from my heartbreak. I don't know if I could take, you know, another rejection, like somebody rejecting me. I was like, hey, you know what? Let's do it, though. Fearless, though. Be fearless, right? So I did. And I only applied to one school. There's another blind spot. I didn't know you're supposed to apply to more than one school when you're applying to graduate school. So I just applied to one and they let me in. And then when they let me in, believe it or not, because remember I told you, I said, hey, I just started being myself. Well, a professor took a liking to me for some reason. He took a liking to me. And then he's like, man, Gabe, you know, you're pretty cool. You bring a little, you know, di something different. I was like, yeah. So we stayed cool. When I graduated, I get an email. What's up, Gabe? I'm putting together a lecturing team and I'd like to know if you'd be interested in come lecturing with me at the School of Design at Stanford, it's a two-year gig, something, something that you might be interested in. Like, hell yeah. So I was a lecturer for two years, for two years. And we taught this, this team called, uh, this class called Designing Your Life, 
or designing the professional. They wrote a book and I'm in the acknowledgement section. I should send it to you so you can check it out. But check this out. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I will. And then because because they trained me on how to teach these workshops and modules to people and to students, Stanford students, mm-hmm. in my, my mind the whole time, I was like, man, I know you guys have heard of Robin Hood. I was like, I'm going to take this knowledge and I'm going to go give it to all the people who really need it. I'm like, these Stanford students, they're going to be all right. You know what I mean? They're already in Stanford. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it to the people who really need it. I'm going to go right back to the Boys and Girls Club, give it to them. I'm going to go back to every single intern and give it to them, which I just did earlier today, matter of fact, to a group of like 20 interns. I just gave them. Nice. A- matter of fact, hey, matter of fact, let me give let me give you a quick little workshop or, or, or a quick little yeah, lesson. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> all right, let's talk about waffles for a little bit. So when you make right. waffles, when you make waffles, the first one never comes out right. The first one's always a little gappy, looks weird, sad. It's a little sad piece. However, when you get to the fourth or fifth waffle, you already got the flick of the wrist right. You got the measurements right. You got the timing right. You got a nice golden crisp. You pop it out. Boom. That's the one you take a picture of. It's a masterpiece. You toss it on Instagram. You give it to a loved one or whatever. That's the one you're proud of. Now, imagine if you approached all of your interests like that. Your ideas, your projects, even relationships, something that you want to do in your professional career, knowing that, hey, you know what? The first one, the first round is not going to be the best round. My fifth one will be. But in order to get to that fifth one, I need to get to that second, third or fourth one. I got to get through them to get to that one. So if you know that you got to mess up three or four times before you're going to get to the one that's a success, how's that going to change how you approach anything? Most people, they'll make one waffle, see that it looks sad and they're like, nope. I'm gonna go try something else. And they spend their whole life making the first waffle and never getting past it. So we're like, and we tell this to the Stanford students. It's like, hey, you know what? Oh, you don't know how to pick the right major? Hey, you know what? It's cool. You could test that out. There's prototypes. Oh, you think you wanna do this? You think you wanna do that? We're gonna show you how to prototype that. Cause that's what the first waffles are. They're just prototypes of the final product, right? Right. And how liberating is that? How liberating is it to know like, hey, I don't gotta get it right the first time. I bet you your first, the first, I don't know how this podcast started. Maybe it was something else before. Maybe it was a blog or maybe it was just some ideas. Those are all first waffles. Even your first couple episodes are first waffles. But now, masterpieces all over the place. Awards, award-winning podcast. Let's go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah tu sabes, you know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't want to bring it up, but. <laughs> Dang, no, that, I mean, I think it's just such a, you know what this reminded me of? I'm not even going to lie. The older people in my family, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to age you, I swear. But the older people in my family would always tell us these little sayings, these little anecdotes about life, right? Like things that you're like, how does what does this have to relate to? You know, like waffles. Like, okay, what is he gonna say about waffles? That's gonna be <laughs> bring meaning, right? It's my life. Mm-hmm. But like I think, you know, my dad, my mom, you know, los tío, las tías, like they always do this thing where they tell these stories that you feel like, what does it have to do with anything? Waffles. Uh-huh. And it just kind of changes your perspective. It's the simple things, right? The simple things yep. that can carry so much meaning. And so I, I, that's what I feel like you just did right now. I feel like I was getting lectured by a Theo or a brother, or older, <laughs> you know, someone that's like, listen, yeah. okay, waffles. Right. Hey, don't worry about it. The man who taught it to me was like 60 something. So you're, you're right. You're right on point with that. So you there know? you go. There you and go. I, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I love that we just have knowledge, like knowledge for days and we just can carry that. Yeah, we got to give it it away, though. Right. You know, one thing that was so powerful for me, too, I'd say probably that there's like two or three, there's like three or four of them that that stuck to my ribs the whole time that I went there. That was one Mm -hmm. of them. Here's another big one. And again, I don't know if this is like a cultural thing or where I grew up or whatever. But for many of us, I feel like it's a badge of honor 
to where to say, hey, you know what? I got to where I'm at by myself. Nobody helped me. Did it on my own. Mm. Didn't need any help. Whoop, whoop, whoop. You know how, I mean, if you were able to do that, amazing, right? But you know how like yeah. damaging that is, you know, to to preach that and to to say, hey, yeah, this is how you got to do it. No way. No way. The thing that blew my mind was when I found out, when I went to Stanford and I was around these business students and these entrepreneurs and these professors and everything and all these CEOs and self-made millionaires and stuff, all of them had coaches. They all had mentors. They all had you know, guidance yep. counselors. They, they all had everybody. I didn't even go to tutoring in high school because I thought if you go to tutoring, it means you're dumb. It means that you didn't. And, and how stupid is that for me to think, right? No, you go there to get better. Like that's part of the system. You know, that's part of how you get better. So when I found out, I'm like, what? All these geniuses or like influencers, they all have somebody helping them. They're like, yeah, it's okay yeah. to have help. And not only that, not, not only is it okay to have help, it's okay to ask for help. If you're struggling or if you don't know what the next move is, get out there and go ask somebody. And that's a whole nother thing I could tell you on like how to network, how to informate, how to do, conduct an information interview. Mm. Changed my entire life yeah. though. But just knowing that, I'm like, hey, that's another blind spot. You know what I mean? I was like, Man, I didn't know. My, my parents didn't tell me that. I didn't. We didn't know that we could go ask people to, you know, walk you through this whole college application system. And, you know, what's the <laughs> best, you know, hey, I got, hey, yeah. I, you know, I got a, a, I messed up. Uh, I got into some trouble with the courts or with the law. How do I bounce back for that? They, you know, all these people know that information. And I'm like, man, that just blew my mind. Yeah. And it's exhausting trying to do it all yourself, right? It's like really, it's a big burden to carry. And I think about your story where you said everything was happening at once. And I think of that saying, like when it rains, it pours, going oh, through your heartbreak, geez. going through, yeah. you know, like having this record on on your, having this uh, felony, right? Whatever it was on your record and mm -hmm. all these things, right? Piling up. And it's exhausting to only rely on yourself for all the things, all the healing, all the move, moving forward, all the this, all the that. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it, I like was reminded of my own story in terms of my whole life. I never asked questions. I never raised my hand. I never shared an opinion. I was always like Ayarita, the one that didn't say anything that just got shit done and like how to get my straight A's. Right. And then I got to a point where I remember going from middle school again, I went through a, through a K through eight poorly funded in the hood, <laughs> middle, like K through eight, just like terrible, terrible education. Like my textbooks are held together by duct tape. And I always say that story because oh, wow. people are like, I'm like, if you can, if you could just imagine that, like that was my, that was my reality. That was normal mm. for me. And then going to a high school in a different County, one of the number one in education, number one in sports and just like a badass school, Reggie, Reggie, um, Bush went there. So like, oh, yeah, everyone knows yeah. him. Uh -huh. And I remember going there and I was like, I felt so dumb, so dumb. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. I remember I got my first F that freshman year. Mm. And as someone who, you know, again, my family, education is stole, you know, like educación is stole, get a good education, get your straight A's, get this, get that. For me, that was a big deal. I'm like, oh my God, I got an F. I know some people were like, oh, it's just an F. It's in high school. I'm like, no, but to me, this is big because I had gone from being the smart one in my K through eight to now being like completely clueless in these classes mm. where it's like new textbooks, like, a lot more hueritos in the class and I'm like mm -hmm. damn mm -hmm. like yeah <laughs> y'all I don't know how to do this like I don't like I really don't and I remember I asked I asked the tutor I was like I need to I need to get help I need to get tutoring because I'm like I literally sit in these classes and I felt like uh what's that saying I'm bad at sayings too but the deer in the headlight 
right? Dude, man, that? Fish out of water, all that, yeah. All that. Yeah. I felt just like, what? And asking for help changed my life. I asked counselors, I asked people like more about their story. And this is why I love what I do now. But started asking people more about their experiences and their story. And I'm like, there's a whole world out here, a whole world I had no idea about and a whole world that I'm still Mm -hmm. navigating, right? And that we're still navigating. And this is part of why I think it's a superpower. And although there's a lot of struggle with being a first generation, there's also a lot of power in in the resilience and creativity that we have as Mm -hmm. humans, as Mm -hmm. the chameleons that you say, the new breed of Latinos who are really navigating this world that wasn't created for us. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, got, I was getting fired up while you were uh, talking about that. I was, about, I was just yeah. about to get up out of my seat right here. You know what <laughs> Yes. Yeah, hell yeah. Honestly, I looked at your LinkedIn profile and I remember thinking, damn, this guy went to Stanford and like, oh my <laughs> God, he works at LinkedIn. And that's what you see, right? Right off the bat, you see a person's cover with, yep. you know, the, the titles, the labels. And now knowing your story, I just have mad respect for you just because of where you came from and just you as a human being. And I think that's what our community needs is more of that representation of this is where I came from. This is what I've been through. And this is where I'm at. Like no obstacle. There's obstacles, but there was, there was nothing that was Mm going to hold me back. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate what you're doing too. I'm in awe of it because what you're doing is you're extracting like the lessons and the experiences and they're like nuggets of gold from every person that you speak to and you're giving them to your audience. And to me, I'm like, yes, mm. that's what we need. You know what I mean? We just need like people who've been there, done that, seen it already. They got the answers and we just got to get those answers out of there. So just want to applaud you for that. So incredible. You know, you said we something out here. Right Latinos are out here. <laughs> yeah. And we're staying out here too. <laughs> staying out here. Uh, the thing is that you said something that when you went to that new school, you had a lot of hueritos. It reminded me about one specific experience, and I gotta ask if you experienced it. So, the, the school that had gone, the elementary school that I had gone to before, was mainly like Filipinos, uh, blacks, and Latinos. I was there's maybe like two or three, m- maybe four uh, uh, white people that I remember. When I, there was a time in sixth grade that I switched over to a different school, which was like a better public school at the time. And it was mainly white students. And I remember on my first day, I walked in and I looked there. And, you know, when you're when you're in elementary school and you're a little kid, like somebody new comes in, like the whole class stops, look right at you. And then you yeah. look right at them. And I remember I looked at them and I kid you not. And I, some people don't believe me when I say this story. I don't get it. But because it's true and I'll never forget. But when I looked at them and I just like kind of scanned the room, the first thought was, I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to tell these white people apart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cause they all look the same to me. You know <laughs> I was like, they all got blue eyes, they all got freckles and they oh all got blue Oh my God. Hair. And I was like, how am I gonna tell these people? Apart? Cause I grew up not seeing that. Yeah, I'm and that's dead. a true, true story. <laughs> and I'll never forget that's, that. I'll never forget that's, that's the facts. first thing I that's thought of. That's so funny. That was not my first thought, but I I that was <laughs> yeah. one of my thoughts. I was like, oh my God, they all look the same. And they all and it's funny because for me, <laughs> that's just so funny that you mentioned that. That's just <laughs> because let me tell you, I think this is something that I really want to unpack with someone in one of my episodes is that that romanticizing an American man for Latinas. I think that happened a lot growing up for me was like, 
I, and you know, you watch movies growing up and you, you seeing either you're seeing Friday or you're seeing these other Juanito movies, right? Like 13 going on 30. It depends like yeah. what's on TV. <laughs> and I remember there was always this like fetish or romanticizing an Ameri- a white man, right? A white boy. Mm-hmm. And I remember I never seen one throughout my whole like K through eight because it was all like 75% of the students there were like Latinos. And then all the rest were like black. So it was a black and Latino school. Yeah. But we yeah, were the okay. we were we were the majority. Like it was it was hella Latinos just running around. And uh-huh. then the only time I saw Wariitos was our teachers. It's a whole different story oh, about wow. the education system. Yeah. But yeah. I saw Wariitos as as our teachers. But going into this high school, I felt like I was in a movie. That's what I thought of. I was like, yeah. Oh my God, there's so many Wariitos. There's yeah. There's hella, there's there was hella diversity, but there was the first time I was really seeing hella Latinos in one space. Like you're, I'm gonna just you're be real. In Clueless, the movie Clueless, like that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I no, for real. I felt so like my life is a movie. Like look at me, I'm just out here. <laughs> yeah. And I remember my brothers were always because they are older than me. So when I went to this school, they were like, "Oh, Jasmine went to a white school." They always said that, and I was like. But that wasn't my reality. I saw all these guaritos, but I didn't hang out with any of them. I still stuck with my Hispanos. Like I still stuck with my Latinos because that's yeah. what felt comfortable for me, like Hell truly. Yeah. And now I'm really happy that I have a diverse group of friends, mm-hmm. but it's so crazy. I never, I'm not trying to sound any type of way. I'm not trying to say I've, I've met really great people who are white, but I never found yeah. myself in those circles because I didn't. I couldn't see how we could just bond, right? Over right. over struck because I feel like one thing that I have in common with a lot of the people I hold really close in my circle is that we we know struggle. We know what it's like to struggle. We know what it's like to go through those struggles together, whether it's first generation, whether it's going to college for the first time in our families, or what whether it's navigating this world that wasn't built for us. I think that to me is like the true connection that I feel with people. That's why I love this podcast. That's why I love talking to people of color mm-hmm. because we understand each other to our core, right? Mm-hmm. Like we just understand. We're like, mm, may not know exactly what you went through and looking all at those waditos and saying, I can't tell mm-hmm. them apart. I'll never know what that feeling was, but I'm like, I can relate in this aspect. And I think yep. for me, all the people I hold close are people who are first generation, who are immigrants, who are people that come from different cultures. Because to me, that's beautiful. And I think when people start to understand other people, wherever they come from, I think it would be a whole different world. <laughs> like truly. That's be- yeah, that's beautifully said right there. Um, as you were speaking again, like I was thinking about one, one more thing that I just want to like give kudos and, and, and really like applaud you for on what you're doing is you, know, you can, we can easily be given like statistics, right? Like we could be given numbers and facts and statistics about Latinos or people of color and this and that. And they may be true. They may be beneficial, but something different happens when you tell a story and that's what you're doing. You're bringing these stories to life. And there's actually an article, I'm going to send it to you because we also taught this to the, to the students at Stanford was the power of storytelling. When we tell a story, as an audience, as we're listening to the story, although we may not have the same experience, our brain is automatically going through our memories to find a similar experience so that we can sync it with what we're hearing. And then that's why when we hear stories, we feel connected to each other. So when you say that, who you hold sim- uh, who you hold close in your inner circle, it's because although it may not have been the same experience, you can relate and you can 
you can align with that. And that's why, man, that's so much science going on here. and so much power so much going science. on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But you didn't I know you were running a, you're running, a, uh, running a scientific podcast here. <laughs> I did. I <laughs> guess know? I didn't. I guess I didn't. I had someone on my podcast. She she said something that was so that I keep in my mind now. She's like, oh, that was an ancestral download. And I was like, what? She's like, Bro. sometimes you just speak from the heart. And it's just like, damn, those are your ancestors just speaking wisdom through you. And I I'm like, that one. the I ancestral like that one. download. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Strong Science, ancestors, all of it, all of it. Yeah. But I, I mean, Gabe, I could talk to you for days. I already know. I already knew this was going to happen. I was like, we're just going to talk and we're just going to vibe. And, it, and this is what I love about, again, this conversation that I have with Latinos is just that we can vibe. We know what it's like to just, again, tell stories and be be real, be be authentic. And I think that's the beautiful thing about our culture. But I want to quickly move into our cafecito and cheese, man. I know you talked a little bit about what you're doing now at LinkedIn, but I think the beautiful thing about that I try to do in every podcast and every episode and every conversation is to really paint a full picture of who you are. So that mm -hmm. whoever's listening is like, he's not just Gabe, the one that works at LinkedIn, the one that went yeah. to Stanford, the one that, mm -hmm. you know, did XYZ. You are full human. You have complexities. You have story. You have all of these experiences that live within you. And oh my God, let me just tell you, when you said the relationship piece, we don't talk about that enough because it is a real thing. And heartbreak, mm -hmm. working through it while you're working through all these other things, it's a hard thing. It's really hard. You know, I found out that you can die from a broken heart because I had to Google it at that time because I was like, yo, I don't think <laughs> I think there's something wrong. Can you die from a broken heart? I had to Google it. Oh, and they're like, yeah, God. you really can. It's called and I was like, oh shoot, I better, hey, I gotta, I gotta get my hydration, my meditation, I gotta get my exercise, I gotta I gotta get on my program quick because I I got things to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Man. <laughs> I facts, just you know, I, I could facts. laugh about it now. I could laugh about it now, but you know, I just wanted to say that because most people won't acknowledge that, that that's a real thing. And that was just a relationship, you know, and that on the scale of bad things that can happen to us in this life, the, the tragedies, it's pretty much on the low, lower end. Well, at least for me, it was because there's other things that are way worse than that that can happen. Like death of a, a, lot, a loved one or a close one or a true betrayal in a marriage or something, you know, what I mean, like we don't know. But. I just want to toss that out because I just feel like mo a lot of people don't, they don't talk about it. It's like, they want to talk about like the highlight reels and stuff. I'm like, but what about those dark places? Like, you know, I know for a fact, there's people going through that. Like, as we speak, people that we know of that aren't saying, that aren't saying nothing about it. And it's, it's on us to like, just check in, you know what I mean? Make sure. Mm -hmm. Oh man, that is, that is so powerful because I feel like you're right. No one, no one talks about it. But I think I experienced the most growth as as a human, as a woman during those heartbreaks, during mm. those really rough moments. Mm. And those rough moments really made me who I am and really made me tap into that inner power that I didn't realize I had. And mm. I think it's even you just saying this is on the lower end of things we're going to we can experience in our life. I'm like, that's rough. Like that's that to me is a hard pill to swallow. But I remember no. I had a life coach. I like got a life coach because at one point in my life, it was the same situation for me where I felt like everything in my life was going wrong. Mm. And I was like, what? What is going on? A breakup. I left my job and I was homeless, basically couch surfing. I was mm. going through so much. And I was like, what's going on right now? Like, mm. I this isn't me. You know, it felt like this isn't me. This isn't me. Yeah. And I remember I had a life coach. I reached out to to a life coach and I was like, I just I feel stuck. I feel numb and I need to move mm -hmm. forward.
because right. I have, I'm starting this new job. I'm doing this. I need to move. I need to, you know, there were so many things in my life kind of shifting. And she told me something that I'll always remember from the very beginning. And she always reminded me of this. She's like, we're going to always go through rough transitions in our life, really big shifts, right? Whether it, it can be anything, it can be marriage, it could be a death of a loved one. It can be moving to a different place. It could be whatever, major life transitions. And she's like, we're always going to go through these transitions. The thing about this very first one that you're going through that's rough, that you can actually kind of navigate, right? Like as an adult or yourself. She's like, when you learn how to navigate through it the first time, you can really learn how to navigate through the rest because it, it doesn't always get better. Sometimes it gets a lot harder. Sometimes it gets yeah. a lot worse. Yeah. And that kind of reminded me of what you were saying right now. Like learning how to navigate those shifts is of the first one. You talking about your heartbreak and all those things. Yeah. I can't even, I can like just feel it. Like, oh my God, I can remember my traumas with that. Yeah. So it's, it's both like, it's inspiring. It's, it's inspiring and scary at the same time. Cause I'm like, I look back at that and I'm like, well, you know, I get, like you said, you grow so much from it. You gain a lot of confidence because you see how resilient and durable you really are. But then yeah. you look back and you're like, damn, was that just training for like something else that's going to happen later on in another phase? Like, I don't want to. But if you, if you do, then, you know, then that's when. God got us. That's what I always say. I'm like, God's got me. Yeah. I'm glad <laughs> you said that. Hey, I'm glad you said that because really that's what my only game plan really <laughs> Yeah, I'm for a real. Christian. Si Dios quiere, oh, I always say that. that. I'm like, yeah, si Dios quiere. Yeah. yeah, we talked about that, and I'm just like, yeah, Yo, you know what? That's where my faith lies. And I remember, I, to be real, sometimes I I look back then, and I remember I was mad. I was so mad. Like I was so mad at God. Like why would you why would you let this happen to me? I don't understand. You know what I mean? And I was like, and all of it at the same time. Come on. You know what I mean? Like you know, I always see those posts. Like you know, uh, says uh, God God won't put you through anything you can't handle, but. I wish he didn't trust me so much. You know what I'm saying? I see that when I always, I always laugh at that because I'm like, yo, for real. I'm like, yo, I, you know, I, yeah. I, there's only so much I could take. But uh, since yep. then, it was in my spiritual life, though, uh, it, it helped me just like really rely and put it all in God's hands. And I remember at that time, I just said, you know what? I try to do this my way and now I'm just going to give it to you, you know, and I messed it. I made a big mess of things. But if you if you guide me. I'll do I'll do what you want me to do. And I was terrified every step of the way. I was terrified when I started to learn how to edit. I was terrified when I got my first music video gig. I was terrified when I had to apply. Uh, when I started a new job as a director of the academy, of the media academy, I was terrified when I had to go to Stanford. I battled imposter syndrome, but the whole time it always went back to home base. I was like, yo, I, I said I would do whatever he led me. So I'm still doing it, you know? So even now I'm yeah. just like, I'm still there and I'm like, yeah, I'm glad you said that because, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, no, I'll, that's glo big. I'll that's glory big. to God. I'll glory to God for sure. Oh my God, 100%. Oh, I know I could just continue talking to you. I know we got stuff to do. I know we're up at the hour, but I want to quickly talk about where you're at now. I'm glad that you are engaged to yes, someone yes, who is fluent yes. in Spanish. Yes, she is. Yes, she's beautiful. She's and, beautiful to me. Oh, well, let's talk mm -hmm. about her. I want to know her, but also talk about just where you're at now, because I think we know these the dark moments in your life, right? That required a lot of a lot of growth and for you to show up and to show out. Right. And say, you know what? I can do this. And you did. And look at you now. And I want to know kind of where you're at now and briefly talk about just not just your career, but just in life where you're at and how yeah. and then mention how people can connect with you. 
and then we'll yeah, wrap for up. Sure. For sure. And just so you know, I got I got time. So you, please don't, you know, and, unless okay, you well, bounce, then, then let's, let's go more cheese man then. <laughs> yeah, you don't got to be worried. <laughs> You don't got to be worried about that on my end right here. Uh, yeah, so where I'm at right now is I'm a point in my life where I believe that our life is in seasons, right? So you got like the season to, you know, go to school, get your education, get your degrees. If that's what you, if that's what you did, go for that. There's a season to learn. There's a season to be still, you know what I'm saying? There's a reason, uh, season. There's a season for transition. There's a season for all that. The current season that I'm in, thank God, I've been chasing this for so long is to finally like uh, be financially secure. When I started at LinkedIn, I was at LinkedIn for two years as a contractor. Recently, like in December, I was converted as a full-time employee, which is big because that's when they give you, they recognize you as an employee of the company. You get all the good stuff, all the perks, the stock, all the, you know, and I'm like, cool, I could finally look towards the future. And my, you know, without worrying about where my next job is going to be. But I was chasing that for a long, long time. I'm 36 right now. So it just, you know, it just happened. And before that, I was going from job to job trying to find the security. So Mm. before I found out that I was going to get converted, I had to step out in faith. And I was like, yo, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend because I don't know. How much longer she go to stick around? Because we already went together for like five years or something, and uh, I know she she wants to get this party going. You know what I mean? And we both want kids yeah. and everything. It's something that, um, you know, we we've been looking forward to. So I stepped out in faith in a COVID era. I call it a pandemic power move. Is that you know I t- I I proposed to her, and then a week later I found out that I was getting converted to full time. So it was a big year for me, you know. And wow. again, like in the a, in alignment a year, though. God's right. got you. Right. <laughs> and, it, and in a year where like so many tragedies and bad things were happening. Yeah. I was able to see some big, big wins. And on the on the so where I'm at right now, I'm focused on the next stage of my life. And, you know, I, I am getting married. I'm getting married in three months from now. I'm getting married in Tulum, Mexico. And wow. uh, which is which is big Beautiful. for us. It's, yeah. Thank, yeah, it is. It is. And we're excited for me because i'm like you know just being it's it feels so right to be married in mexico you know what i'm saying uh although it's a destination and it's like a vacation for everybody but it just feels right to be married where i know where my family is from you know so and where her family's from as well so i'm like yeah let's go do it let's go get married in tulum when i talked about the kids just to get a little deep real quick my, my uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really good with kids, right? So when I see kids or whatever, I have a niece. Oh my gosh, she's, she's the most precious little girl ever. Um, <laughs> I'm just really good with them. Like we just have a lot of fun, and you know, I'm just, you know, it, it just, I'm just a natural with them. You could say. Now I don't know about changing diapers and everything. I haven't done that, but like as far as keeping them entertained, I, I, I don't mind doing that. Well, you're gonna learn soon, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. But people always Después ask. Me, After yeah, your wedding, you'll see. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> So people always ask me, they're like, why, why haven't you had kids, man, or whatever? Like, why are you waiting for so long or whatever? And I said, well, the truth is I've always wanted kids. I could have had, you know, we could, I could have, I could have been in my early twenties with kids already and stuff like that. I was like, but I just always, I wanted to make sure that certain things were taken care of on my end so that when I brought them into the world, those things weren't an issue anymore, you know, financial stability, my my spirit my maturity as a spiritual as a man of faith my you know there's a couple of things that I just wanted covered and now I finally feel like I'm ready so what people don't a lot of people don't understand but I like to share with them is that 
when those tough times were there, 2008, the heartbreak, all the way through, should I should I take this risk? Should I take this year or two of sacrifice to try to get experience to move to the next level, to do this, to do that? Those sleepless nights working on projects or you know working on my own business or whatever the case was. The thing that got me through it was I would think about my future kid, you know, my future son or my mm-hmm. future daughter. And I would really envision them and they would just fill me with so much like so much hope and energy and, and just motivate me. And like, so I've been thinking about them for a long, long time. So what I'm looking forward to most is meeting them in person. And when they're old enough, letting them know like, hey, did you know you were inspiring me, you know, since 10 years before you were born, you know? And then one other big thing that, I, that where I'm at right now is I've realized, you know, looking back now, like, hey, you know, I, we have a lot of wisdom um, a lot of gold nuggets of wisdom that has been given to us. And we've been blessed with this, you know what I mean? So what good is it if I just keep them for myself? I got to find ways to give back to it. So whether that's joining a podcast or whether it's talking to interns, whether it's writing a book or if it's a new YouTube channel or a series or how are we going to get this and give it to the people who need it? So that's been like my new hype and my new mission lately is to find mm-hmm. out how to give all these little nuggets these little things that we know, these little waffle lessons and stuff like that. How we, can we give it back to people who need to hear them? The recent graduates, the students who are lost, the people who are brokenhearted. How can we get it to them? So I'm trying to figure that out. And then um, aside from that, uh, I've, I've, I don't know if you felt this, but recently I've been feeling such an urge, like a strong, strong urge. And like, like I've just, like uh, it's hard to explain, but I just, I don't, uh, I'm like an hour away from my immediate family. So like I can see them whenever I want, but still far enough where I don't see them as often as I'd like. But I've been feeling like this urge of uh, like love. It's just like, man, I just want to see my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister or my cousin or my niece. And it's like, I literally just can go over there and just be recharged. And this is the first time in my life that I've experienced like, wow, I need to go back to the power source to get re- fully recharged. And it's su- such a beautiful phase right now in my life that I'm just like living in it and exploring it because, you know, back in the day, I was too cool to be with my fam or whatever. Or whatever. It was boring. I'd rather be with somebody. But now it's like, oh my goodness, I need more of it, more of it, more of it. So anyway, that's where I'm at. I don't know if that answers your question, but there's some things that are top of my mind. Wow. No, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. One of the things that I always think about is like our parents are like our museum. Our families are like our museum of knowledge, of our cultures, of where we come from, of our ancestors, of the todo, you know? They really represent our identities, like a a big part of it. And I think for me, I'm like, have this obsession with knowing more about my parents' lives and knowing where they came from, knowing more about my tios, my tias, my abuelo, mi abuela, because I never met my grandparents on either side. And so I have this like, I want to know all this knowledge. I want to know your story so that I can continue passing down the important parts to my own future mm. generations. And I've been really like kind of what you were saying, like you want to have your inspiration right now is your your kids, your future kids, right? And I think for me, it's like at the end of the day, that's my motivator of continuing this, this Honduran pride that we have in our family and continuing the culture and mm-hmm. passing that down so that my kids are like, man, they're set. They'll know their culture. They'll go through their own struggles, right? Everyone goes through their struggles in their life. But I want them to know 
like this is who this is where you come from these are your roots you know like you are yeah. you are of of honduran yeah. blood and like you are beautiful in your own way you got both indigenous you got some some other little things in there but you are this beautiful makeup of a complexity of cultures and it's it all stems back from honduras and for me that's a really important thing to pass down to them but first i have this like urge i'm like i need to do all the things now like you know i need to like do this get a good job and make them proud and like the same thing as you and i think that's really beautiful that you think that way and i love that you kind of you mentioned that life is in seasons and you saying there's a season to be still for some reason that resonated with me so much i'm like yeah i saw you react to that yeah i saw you react to that. that's hard to do that's hard to do in this day of age just to like hey just pause just pause. You don't got to hustle right now. You don't got to do all just, you know, just wait, just wait for the right time. You know, timing is everything. Timing you know? is everything. And it resonated with me because I feel like that's where I'm at in my life right now. I'm just still, I'm just, I'm just taking it in and being intentional with my time, with my energy, with where I want to go next. Right. Like all of those things right now, I think I'm in this moment of stillness mm. where I'm just like, all right, I'm just, I'm just chilling. I'm really just trying to be in the moment and be present. One thing really quickly before we go into our closing that that I recently discovered is one of my sponsors, their name is Rise On, and what they do is they provide a space for first generation, for people of color to balance ambition and inner peace. It's like how to balance both, right? And not lose yourself, but also gain all these other these other things. One thing that we talked about last week that I want to talk about with you because I think it kind of goes into the conversation we're talking about right now. They talked about how your future, your past, and your present are always constantly fighting for your attention and energy. Your past self is like, am I safe? Am I going to get hurt? Is this going to happen again? Talking about your traumas, right? And then your present is just like, I just want to be still. I want to be in the moment. I want to connect. I want to do this. I want to do that. I just want to be. And then your future self is mm -hmm. like, well, this is where I want to go. I like need to be successful. I need money. I need this. I need that. Like, right. There's these three things constantly in battle. And it's like, how do you balance all three? And it was funny while we were talking about that. I was like, I'm definitely right now in the present. I live in the future. I have always been that way. But right now I'm just like, you were saying it's a season of stillness. And it's like, okay, I'm just, I'm literally just being, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a human being. And I'm just in the moment right now. So I feel like that resonated with me. I'm like, damn, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's my season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good season to be in. You know? It's a cool season to be in. It's a cool because uh yeah, I mean, sheesh, I feel like I'm going down memory lane here, but I what I like about the season of stillness is you know, you know big things are gonna happen. You know that they're gonna happen, and you just gotta wait it out for a little bit. And Sometimes you got to learn how to be patient or you got to learn how to just, hey, you know what? I've done everything that I could right now. Now the rest is up to whatever you believe in. If it's God or the universe, and now I got to wait for that part. I've already met them halfway. Now it's up to somebody else. You know, and that's the season of stillness right there. And I like it because it's your chance to, to like, like replenish yourself and to uh, reflect. And it's also the time to like practice the things that you normally wouldn't be able to. How do I practice being still? How do I practice being patient? How do I practice being prepared for the next season that I know is going to come? How do I practice for that? And it reminds me of like, I mean, I think I heard this on Game of Thrones or something, but they're like, when you're Shout afraid, out. yeah, yeah, I know, right? When you're afraid of something, 
Um, it's okay to feel fear. A lot of people think that if you feel fear, like something's wrong or you shouldn't be doing it or whatever. It's, it's totally cool to feel fear, um, but it's not a reason not to do something, right? And one way that you can reframe, re, uh, yeah, hit that with the reframe is the only time that you can be courageous is when you're afraid. That's the only time you could practice being brave or courageous, right? So if you're never afraid, you're never gonna have practice in being courageous. Same thing, I see like a parallel with in the season of stillness. When are you going to practice? How can you practice preparation for the next season? It could be it could, the next season can hold uh, like obstacles and challenges, or it can hold great things, or it can hold both at the same time. But you got to be ready for that, you know what I mean? So it's like the quiet before the storm in some ways, mm. which could be both yeah. good and bad. So, yeah, I love that. I love yeah, that 100%. 100%. And it's one, one of the things, and you mentioned this of of learning how to practice, like there is fear there. Don't like suppress it. But one of the things that someone told me a long time ago, and I still remember it to this day, and it's like listening and acknowledging your fears and doubts, like they're going to be there, right? It's like, yes, I hear you, but I got this. And it's like that feeling of like, I don't worry, like I got this. And that's what I do all the time. Like I acknowledge my fears and doubts. They're there. They're under the surface a lot of the time. But I always just tap into that power of like, I got this. Like yeah. all in all, like I've been through this. I got this. I got, I got like bullet in, in me, you know, I got that HIPAA right. vibe in me and mm -hmm. everyone does. And it's tapping mm -hmm. into that, that inner power that I think we all have. And I think when we tap into it, it can be really, really, we're unshakable, you know? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of, it reminds me of another line that I heard. I didn't even think I watched <laughs> the movie. I think I just watched the preview. Which, which brings me to another point. Like there's so much learnings and wisdom and pieces of gold everywhere, right? It could be on a poem, it could be on a song, it could be on a verse, it could be on a podcast, it could be on a preview on YouTube, which I saw. There's a preview. And he's basically saying, this guy was like, this guy was like, man, you're not even a real rock star. You're just pretending to be a rock star. And then the guy looks at him, he's like, is there a difference? And I was like, there we go. If you, if you just pretend, you just pretend to be a rock star or a boss or whatever you want to be, what's the difference from being from actually being one? If you're already acting like one. And living your life like one and everybody perceives you as one, then you are whatever you, you're pretending to be. So and that's that works both ways, too. If you're pretending to. Yeah. If you pretend to be something that you're not that you're not OK with. Well, that's what you are. There's no difference from the pretending to actually be. So you got to be mindful of that. And maybe in that season of stillness, you need you need to do an audit on yourself to see what, what you're pretending. For to real. Be. For real. <laughs> And that, and then he brought it brought me to another point, and I'll mention uh -huh. this, and then we'll go to our closing. Okay, we're playing, we're playing wisdom ping pong here. We are, we're just dropping knowledge, and this is beautiful, though. This is like I think just alignment at its finest, yeah. connection at its finest. I'm like, this is this is like real. It's happening right now, but this is why I have so much passion about storytelling. And what one of the things that I, I do used to do a lot now I'm doing a little less, but I want to do more of it is going back to first generation students to college campuses and helping them articulate their story or tapping into their story. Oh yeah. And one thing that I think is you just mentioned it with uh, pretending to be, or, you know, like, or not, you are what people perceive you. That's the power of a story, though. When you start to realize people will make up a story about you if you don't take ownership of your story. They That's will right. assume things of you. So you have to take the reins on your story. You have to tell your story, voice it, live it, embrace it, and evolve it, right? It can evolve with you. Oh, yeah. And I think 
That's a powerful thing. And when I learned that, I'm like, people are going to make assumptions of me. Like, heck no, I'm going to tell them who I am and I'm going to show them who I am. And you got to teach them how to treat you too, you know? So you got like, hey, nah, this, I'm a, you obviously don't know how you're supposed to treat me. So let me teach you real quick. First of all, don't talk to me like that. Second of all, don't ever do that. But, you know, and yeah, like, hey, right? hey, that's, that's real. That Latina comes out, I'm like, oh, yep, 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 <laughs> yep. And, and uh, I love, I love the power of words that you're saying like that too, because I do it all the time, you know, at work, you know, I, I, I say things like this. I'd be like, uh, Hey, you know what? One of my leadership skills is humor. So that's why I inject humor in my presentation and my manager be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. See, the little slip that I put in there was one of my leadership skills is. So I just call myself a leader. So I'm already showing you how to look at me. Oh, this guy's a leader. One of his leadership skills is this. Or like, hey, the way the way my mind works is I got to be super organized. So I organized this document in a flow that makes sense for everybody because I have to see it in an organized way. Boom. So what what words are you attaching to my name now to my brand is, oh, man, Gabe's organized, a super organized. Not not necessarily that I really am, but that's a story I'm telling you. You know what I'm saying? Words are power. Words are power. Man, man, we can get into that. That, That's that's why it became such a passion of mine. It's like, yeah, I I don't speak the best English or Spanish you know, speaking bilingual over here, losing both languages at the same time. But I love, I know there's power in words, you know, there is power in, in what we say, what we say to other people, what we say to ourselves, like all of those things matter. But man, I could just talk for days, but let's end this as close as the brindis. And what I like to do here, you have your, your, what is it? Hydro IV or what's it called? <laughs> I forgot Liqu- already. Liquid, liquid IV packet liquid that I got IV. from Costco. And I'm so hydrated, I can't even believe it. <laughs> this is not an ad, you guys. This is just pure, <laughs> real people, real people, real experience. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's let's close this beautiful conversation. Man, I had, I hope you feel energy. I feel energy for me. I'm like, I feel like I'm energized. I'm hyped right now. But oh, yeah. I oh, yeah. want to wrap this conversation up with the brindis. And this part to me is so powerful because... It's a virtual cheers, but in these means cheers for those who don't know. And it's all about manifesting good for our Latino community. I want to give you a chance, Gabe, to to say what you want to cheers to and to say what you want to manifest for our community. Oh, yeah. Well, I just want to cheers to this wonderful conversation. I knew it was going to be cool. I didn't know it was going to be this cool. And <laughs> what I just want to put out to the community, but I'm not surprised. And what I want to put out to the community is this is a toast that I give every year on my birthday. I just want to share it right now. But I say, all the success in the world means nothing unless you got good friends and family to celebrate with. Mm. Mm. Cheers. Cheers. I love this conversation as much as I did. Go connect with Gabe on Instagram at Gabriel underscore L underscore junior and find him on LinkedIn. He's currently building a YouTube channel reviewing today's hottest music videos. It's called Music Video Recipe and you can find the link in the show notes, aka the episode description. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. Connect with me on Instagram at ojasmine4as, Twitter at Jasmine, and find me on LinkedIn. And check out my website, olalisjasmine.com. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña.
and stick around to hear from my sponsor and partner, Chris Gates, co-founder of Rizon. Gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rise On. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rise On is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rise On is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Rise On dot life. Mi gente, let's rise on.